I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. Would you like to know what you can do so that you can be heard and respected with more ease and impact at work? In this episode, CEO of award-winning Viva Live Music and founder of Superstar Communicator, Susan Heaton-Wright, gives practical tips you can use right away to be empowered as a communicator. She works with individuals and teams to be more impactful and to communicate with confidence, clarity, credibility, and to be able to influence in all business conversations. In this episode, she shares how being an opera singer influenced her approach, and she explains how to make it easy for other people to listen to you so that you can get your message across with impact in a very short period of time. We also dive into unconscious bias and the importance of being aware of how this impacts our listening. Enjoy listening in. Welcome, Susan, to the Listen In podcast. It's lovely to have you with me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. To start off these interviews, I always ask guests this very simple question, and I'd love to hear your answer. When did you start to notice the power of listening, whether it worked or it didn't work? I love the last part of it. Did it work? Did it not work? I have always been aware of listening because my background is as a musician and the audience always listens. But if they are active listening, so they are responding by um, applauding or looking interested, that is part of the process of performance. And so really from quite a young age, I was aware of that. Bringing that into business situations and business conversations I have been aware that as a quieter person in conversations, I'm more likely to be the listener, particularly in big groups. But I believe that there always has to be an audience in these business conversations. Otherwise, it's a fest of people talking over each other. So I think it's really interesting. You're a quiet person, especially in groups. And yet you're, you spend so much time helping people to become what you describe as a superstar communicator. And I'm wondering at what point in time did you shift from a quiet person to someone who started noticing how to bring their voice in a group beyond the performance? Do you know, I, as you say, I, was, I am a quiet person by nature. 
And I realized when I was 17, I've said this story many times to other people, but you might, your audience might not have heard this before. I was, um, like many 17-year-olds, thinking about what to do after school. And certainly in the United Kingdom, we apply for university or college or go and get a job, that sort of thing. And I wanted to go to university. And I knew that, that the way that I was working, I should get particular grades. But not only did my form mistress not want me to apply for university because she thought that I was not bright enough. My grades, as it turned out, were all two grades lower predicted than what I got. And at the time, of course, I was annoyed and frustrated. But looking back, I realised that although I was working hard, I wasn't demonstrating how good I was. And therefore, the teachers didn't have the confidence that I would perform in my A-levels exam so I could get to university. And so I realized then that I needed to find ways of projecting my personality, even though it was quieter, so that I would still be noticed. And for listeners, I did go to university. I managed to find a form and filled it in myself and my headmistress supported me and I got into a top university despite my form mistress. So this has a lot to do with perception. And I was just thinking about conversations that I've had lately or I have often also with people I coach and whatnot. And this comes up often because there's a lot of quiet, more introverted people, especially in the tech industry. And also when it comes to promotions, right? (laughs) And being seen. And so some of our conversations are how can your work be seen? How can the value of you being an observer and paying attention to what's really needed versus, you know, how can that be seen also? And how can you, you know, feel confident enough to bring that into the conversation? And so this is a little bit you know, what you described. So what have you discovered since then? What would you, what would you tell your 17-year-old self looking back? First of all, to really own my success, but also to make sure that other people know about it. Because, I mean, maybe at the time, if I'm honest, I should have questioned what predicted grades were there because I had statistical evidence that I was on a higher plain, but also to question that and also to question myself, what were other people doing that made them have the confidence of the school to apply? Because there were girls that didn't get to the university of their choice. They had been over-predicted grades because they were confident and more extrovert. They gathered confidence from the teachers and the people around them. Whereas I shied away from that. And certainly, I was brought up not to show off and not to speak out. So in a way, I was only going with what I had been told by my parents. So what have you learned about how to um, let people know your successes, but in a way that 
you know, you were brought up not to show off, you know, not to brag. I mean, this comes up often. So how, how do you share your successes in a way that others can receive it and be prized or inspired versus competitive or not believing it? I think that's a really, really good question. And I don't know if you know that I am one of the facilitators for the I Am Remarkable project, which was originally founded. And I understand that there is some funding from Google that they recognize that women and people, less represented groups of people, have a tendency not to brag, not to own their successes not to let other people know what they've achieved. And that fits in with my own values and my own experience. But what I do say to people, particularly if I'm facilitating one of these workshops, is a very easy way to do this is to start creating a library of straightforward case studies. So they all only need to be four sentences long. And then every time you achieve something or you finish a project or you win some business, you can have write that little case study. And then when there are colleagues or your manager or a leader asks you what you're doing, you can say, oh, yes, I've just finished this project. I was working with this client. This was what the problem was. This is what I did to solve the problem and as a result of this. And it's very, very straightforward. It's like a normal conversation. It doesn't have to be a long to make sure that it's clear, that it's short. There's a certain structure so that they're able to, your boss or whoever it is you're sharing the story with can follow you easily, quickly, and to grasp that something happened. Absolutely. And there is a factual element about, about it. It's not fiction. It's as it is. It's not too long, so they don't, their mind doesn't wander. And it's very focused. And I know a number of my clients and people that have been on, on the Iron Remarkable groups have found it very, very useful, particularly at the end of the year when they have to do a self-review. They have already got a list or they're building a list or a library of these little case studies. Mm. And, you know, I was thinking about this. Often we're so busy in work and we, we're just going from one task or one project to the other. We're, as soon as we finish one, we're on to the other. And we often don't take the time to celebrate what we just accomplished or to pause and reflect on that. And so I could imagine that this practice not only is good to make things visible for your boss or for your promotion, but also f- to yourself on what you're accomplishing so that you can. And that helps build confidence in the work you're doing. Absolutely. And I'm a firm believer of either having a folder on your computer or creating your own success journal and writing down when you get lovely feedback from people, when you win a piece of work, when you get a lovely referral as a result of your work, all of those things. So When times are bad, and we all have bad days, we all have disappointments, you can go back to that folder or your book and read through some of those successes. Hmm. 
you know, I can learn from doing that also. I'm not, I haven't done that in such a structured way. And so I'm learning something right now (laughs) to, to help my structure as well. Yeah. You know, one of the things about self-promotion, a lot of people feel very icky about that. But then you look around at what I would call the successful people, some of whom are brilliant and some of whom you might think, how on earth have they got there? It has been through self-promotion. Now, some of them go over that line where it's actually bragging. But for other people, They know how to play the system. They know that it is worth their while making sure that they speak up in a meeting and make concise points, that they respond to what other people are saying in a meeting, that they are doing extra things alongside their job. So if there is a networking group or an event at work, they might step up and either be on a panel or introducing the speaker, or being the host. So then other people within the organization begin to get to know them. And then, of course, if they see you in the corridor, now we're back in in offices, and they ask you how you're going on, you can then get out of your back pocket one of your case studies and say, well, I'm doing this. Yes. So is this also part of what you do around helping people become superstar communicators? I mean, superstar communicators sounds like such a big word, you know, it's a big word. And, but how you describe it is, you know, how to be noticed, how to be respected and how to be heard. So this is, this also makes me really interesting when it comes to our listening topic, you know, how do we get people to listen to us when we speak? Well, my the, the model that I created, the Superstar Communicator model, identified five key areas that I believe are essential to be a good spoken communicator. Ironically, it could be modified for, for written communication. And those five areas are audience, content, preparation, performance, and voice. And the first thing, audience, is understanding your audience and what the purposes of you speaking and communicating. So often people think, oh, well, I've got to speak, and they speak for the sake of it. What am I going to speak about? But there's an audience there, and unless it's relevant to them with the what's in it for me, why should I listen question, they are going to switch off. And if you are speaking to, say, if I was speaking to people who are new graduates, so in their early 20s, and I was using examples from the 1990s and 1980s, they would be switching off because they wouldn't think this is relevant to me unless there was some connection with their lives now. So, for example, I last week I did my first speaking gig in over two and a half years. Well, over two years. It was great to be in the room. And one of the stories I tell is about a female politician in the 1990s who was a hero, a heroine of mine, and she used her voice in a particular way. And But I brought in the whole topic by asking people who their heroines are now 
So I named people like Michelle Obama, Beyonce, people like that. And we had that discussion before I went into, well, this is a heroine from when I was in my 20s. And in fact, the room was silent because everybody was with me. They understood that this was somebody that meant a lot to me at a similar age to when they they, to, they are now. But if you are throwing old examples, or dare I say it, that all of the examples are white middle-aged men, and it's a mainly female audience or a mixed racial diverse audience, we're going to switch off because we're going to think, well, what's in it for me? Why is that relevant for me? Yeah. Yeah. So the audience paying it, listening to your audience, really understanding what they may be interested in, what they may connect with, either through current events or through questions or ways that you show that you're paying attention to them is the first step in helping you're, if you really want to be listened to as a as a communicator, whether it's in a meeting or whether you're doing a presentation. Absolutely. And I also believe that we live in a busy world, don't we? We live in a noisy world where we, we have our mobile phones beeping and we have our emails pinging and all sorts of distractions from what we're doing. If we keep things concise and what I call headline level, so that then the audience knows what you're talking about without you going into too much detail. If they need more information, they will ask you. Um, Right at the beginning of the uh, anything that you say, if you make it very clear what you're saying, so it could be a question, it could be a scary scary statistic or a statement, There are many ways to open a conversation, but those are three really easy ways. Using stories or case studies, because the emotional journey that you have with that, even if it's a very short story, is a way of engaging the audience. So they want more. They they will feel, they will remember how they feel when they hear this. And finally, having a clear call to action. And that sounds like a marketing term but tell people what they need to do. So if you are in a meeting and you have said something very profound or very useful, you could say at the end of it, so I believe we need to make a decision on this today. Or in order to do this, I need your feedback by tomorrow evening. Yeah, very clear. They know exactly what there is to do. And when they leave that room, they they aren't confused or they don't do something else that's not, you know, that's different than what you had wanted. Absolutely. I don't know about you, but I've been in meetings, I've been in presentations, events where at the end, the speaker, it's almost like a big faff. We would say in the United, there's a faff, you you do your stuff. Then there's, oh, are there any questions? You have that. Oh, okay. Well, Well, thank you, Susan. Shall we you know, do you, should we have some coffee now? <laughs> and you've lost it. Right. <laughs> I always say to people, after the Q&A, repeat that call to action so that that's the last thing they hear from you. That's great advice, even after the Q&A. Yes. That doesn't happen usually after the Q&A. No, it doesn't. But, you know, get stuck in there before the host jumps in. Yeah, that's great advice. 
And it feels so it simple. doesn't feel natural. Mm-hmm. But honestly, that's the last thing they will remember. Yeah. Ask yourself, what is the last thing you want them to remember before they click off on Zoom or walk out of the room? Um, you know, you I'd like to shift over. You talked about the audience, and I know there's diff- there's five key areas, but I'd like to skip to the end, if that would be okay. You talked about voice. Um, I'd love to hear more about how voice helps people to listen to you. I firmly believe that we should speak so it's as easy as possible for other people to listen and understand us. If it's difficult for them to understand us or they can't hear us properly, they're going to switch off. You know, if it's hard work, naturally people are going to switch off, aren't they? So there are some things that you can do immediately. You can make sure that you don't speak too fast that you don't mumble, that you don't shout, because that's equally bad, isn't it? But also that you add variety to your speaking. So you might want to go fast for a little bit and then have a pause. When there's something very important that you've said, allow the audience to take in what you've said. But also, if you understand your audience, you might know that some of those people do not speak English as their native tongue. As an English speaker, it is very, very easy for me to believe that everybody understands English. But spoken English is slightly different to written English. And if you speak too fast, or if you've got a strong accent, or your diction isn't clear, your audience is going to find it more difficult to listen to you. I also think that try to use your voice to show emotion. Now, I don't mean by being dramatic opera singer and sobbing and all of those things, but to show some interest, some enthusiasm for your topic, because that will be picked up by your audience and it will be easier for them to to interact with you. And I would imagine if they also kind of take on that enthusiasm, if they feel that, then they're more likely to remember what you said. Yes, because we remember how people make us feel, don't we? If we think back to people, you know, particularly in our childhood or or colleagues or ex-colleagues, we remember how that person makes us feel. Yes. And so if you were to take what you just said, and you said that these, you've, you've discovered, especially probably during the pandemic, that these key areas um, translate into the written communication, because, you know, nowadays, so much is done on Slack, in terms of communication, other areas, especially for our younger, for the companies, the startups, or the, the you know, tech companies in this. So I think these areas are, are becoming even a lot more than, than emails and whatnot. Well, how would you help translate voice or audience into the written communication? That's a really good question because written communication can be misinterpreted. And there is also a generational challenge of misinterpretation, a full stop or something that sounds aggressive to one person might be a direct assertive um, comment by somebody else. And 
the lack of the human voice that helps us to understand it, the the nuances of it can be a problem. I would say that bringing the human connection into this by adding a short video or a, a short voice recording could help overcome that. And if you are literally doing messages on Slack that are written communication, they might not be the most effective way of doing things. There is a company that one of my old clients works for now called Zappy, which is a tech company. And it's based within the um, advertising industry. And they have made a point of when they talk to colleagues, they actually video. And so they will send a video message to each other. Uh, Yes, they use Slack, but where possible, they do use uh, voicemail and videos in with that as well. And so they found that the human connection, which hiding behind written communication on Slack or another platform, that that's that they've got the human connections again. I was thinking about you know the way to combine the videos or audios with the written, and there might be times to think about this message that I'm sending. What is the tone that I want to come across? And depending on the tone and how might it be perceived, and if it's a little bit more sensitive or something to do with change or whatever, then perhaps to set the context with voice or video, even if more is written afterwards, or how you end something might be, I was thinking about the framing a little before or after, and then what's done in between. It might be interesting to pay attention and play with that. I don't, we probably don't have answers in terms of what's right or what's wrong, but to notice, especially when it comes to tone and how that person or the group might receive it and how they would feel about it would be it would be really important to pay attention to what do I do and whether I use video or voice so that that emotional side um, comes across in the way that I want to. Absolutely and emojis are used much more now aren't they in business and that can be a way of signposting the tone of uh, of some written communication but it takes no more time to put in a short video or voice message. I would imagine that some people are a little bit hesitant because they don't like listening to their voice or seeing themselves. You know, that might be part of the blocker of that process. Even though I've, I've also discovered doing the podcast and whatnot that you, you kind of, you get used to it. <laughs> I think you do. I mean, one of, one of the interesting things about the voice is that we hear we don't hear the same voice that everybody else does because we are hearing our voice internally, if you think. Yeah, there's um, a certain vibration. We, hit, we have the whole vibration in our bodies that we're listening to absolutely. as well. Absolutely. And, and also, if you are listening to a recording of yourself and the quality of the recording is not good or the software that you use isn't as good, it can add some tinniness or accentuate the the treble resonances, for example. So you're not actually hearing what everybody else hears. So if someone tells you, oh, you have a nice voice and you don't believe them, believe them. (laughs) Believe them. 
believe them. <laughs> Absolutely believe them because you are not the best judge of it. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about nonverbal communication. Yes. And um, because even just yesterday, I was I had a conversation with one of my coaching clients, and they were talking about also working with director level higher, you know, people in higher position, a power position uh, as they were, and how to communicate in a way or how to feel more confident communicating to director level type of positions. And one of the the insecurities that came out was, you know, I have a hard time noticing the nonverbals or hearing the nonverbals through the vid- even through video, they struggle with the nonverbals. And that by not always have feeling like they're getting the nonverbals that they are not, they don't feel confident. They don't know if the person's understanding them. They don't know if their message is being received, you know, these types of things. Um, what would you, how would you respond to someone like that? This is a whole different game by video, isn't it? And it's something that we've all had to develop in the last two years. You remember I mentioned about being brief and top headline. I believe that a strategy for communicating with people at very senior level who are very busy, who are probably being bombarded with ideas and instructions and requests all day, is to be brief, concise, headline and interesting, and not to go into too much detail. If they want more information, they will send, they will ask you. Either they will get one of their assistants to ask for more information or they will ask questions themselves. If you see them glazing and going off, I always believe that a bit of humility such as, is this a good time to speak to you or shall we arrange another time when you've got a a bit more time to discuss this goes a long way. Because you are showing respect to for who they are, in my opinion, and also the fact that they might be having to deal with things that we're not aware of, some difficult decisions. Yeah, and sometimes they're because they have so much going on, they don't they may not even realize that they're not being fully present because they have other things on their mind. And so that can be also just a moment for them to pause and reflect, okay, is now a good time or not? And then often they can choose to refocus and be present or to, you know, choose to do something at a later time. Absolutely. You're giving that option, although you don't want to lose that opportunity. So for example, yesterday, I had a meeting with someone that I know was very busy. At the beginning, I said, look, I've only booked a 15 minute because I know how busy you are. And in fact, he said to me, you know what, I've not got a meeting afterwards. So we can go on beyond 15 minutes. And that was great because we had a really useful conversation. Yeah, but you gave them the option. And then when they decided that they wanted it, then they're more engaged with you. Yeah, great. One of the things that you and I have talked about a few times, and I'd love to have just a little conversation around this, is a lot of the awareness, especially in the last six months, about unconscious bias. and how this impacts how people listen to us. You know, this especially shows up when we think about women or, you know, this came up in the International Women's Day. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this this topic, (laughs) because I know we're all kind of figuring things out right now. This is a really, really 
interesting topic. And for International Women's Day this year, the theme was Break the Bias. And in fact, I spoke to organisations all over the world, virtually, sadly, about this topic. And there are men as well as women that are on these calls, which is brilliant. I believe that we all have biases. It's not particular groups. We all do. Based on the way that we're brought up, our values, our experiences, we all have a different lens, a different outlook of the world. And we are going to be drawn to people that we perceive are like us. So for you and me, we're both members of the Keynote Women Speakers Group. And so we're drawn to each other. We feel an affinity towards each other. And we will find in an organisation that there are people that are part of the gang. I don't know if you've ever felt that, that there are the in people. And these people all feel an affinity towards each other. And they feel safe. They value each other. They promote each other. They support each other. And if you're not part of that group, it is much more difficult to be heard and understood and respected. I don't know if you have been in situations where you have prepared something and it's quite obvious that the people are not going to listen to you because you're not part of their gang. Yes, sure. I've had that. I've had that (laughs) situation, especially... You know, I, I live someplace where I'm the minority also, right? So I live in a in a different country in the German language. And for the most part, it's okay. But I have had a few, a handful of situations where uh, that happened, you know, just, <laughs> and where I, I realized that what I had to, I, I used to think it was more about that maybe I just think really differently, <laughs> you know, and maybe they, the paradigms are just different. So maybe that's why it wasn't understood. But looking back, maybe in some situations, it was more about this gang, this type of mentality, what you're speaking about now. And people call it affinity bias. And absolutely, you know, when we meet people, we are, we make a judgment of them based on their height, their race, their gender, what they're wearing, their age, all different things. And we will make a snap decision, which is unconscious. Is this person a friend or foe. Let's put it basically, it's down to being safe, isn't it? And if we meet somebody and we don't know them, I always try to find some parallel, some things that we have in common. And this is something that I would say to the listeners, that making sure that you understand who you're going to be speaking to in the meeting, doing some research You might find out that you were at the same university. You might find out that you've got a mutual friend or you live close to each other or you've worked in a similar organization in the past. Those things, if you bring them up quickly in a conversation, those will push you closer together because we get attracted to people that are similar to us because we feel safe around them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and also when you're working in multicultural environments where, yes. you know, some people get insecure about that, but, you know, we're all human. There's human Absolutely. ways of connecting. Absolutely. And you might be meeting somebody who doesn't look like you. Let's be blunt, because it m- might be somebody from a different 
cultural background, like I went for a walk with with a lovely lady yesterday, and she's from a West Indian background. However, we were able to connect. One of the first things is that we both love athletics. She has represented UK, me obviously not, but we had that affinity. And we had this affinity that we built up during our walk because we found things that were that were both of value to us. And that was through conversation and listening and speaking. Yes. Um, you know, I, I was just thinking in the you probably experienced this too also when you're working with organizations, but when I'm doing communication workshops with groups of people from a company and working with listening and when they having them share stories with one another about, you know, challenges that they're having, you know, especially with leaders, how they always, they realize, oh, you're having that challenge too. Oh, I am too. And so being able to talk through similar challenges that they have, and they're always surprised, even if they're from other parts of the organizations, for some reason or other, we have it in our mind that we're the only ones going through these challenges. And when they realize, oh, I'm not alone, and they can work through these challenges to find, you know, new solutions, that creates also this bond. So even just the challenges we go through can help us create that bonding. Absolutely. And if you recognize how it feels not to be part of the gang, let's call it a gang for just, just freeze, how that might impact your team or your organization if there are some people who are feeling excluded? And what can you do in order to make better decisions, to be a better leader, so that you are actively listening to everybody and valuing everybody's opinion, rather than that listening to that little voice, oh, no, it's them talking again, when in fact, on this occasion, they might have something of huge value. So you can turn your little gang into the company gang. Absolutely. It does take hard work and it takes everybody to be engaged in this positive activity, to really understand, particularly with decision making, which suppliers were we going to use? Who are we going to promote? Who are we going to recruit? And asking those questions, am I stereotyping this person? Yeah. Am I putting them into a box that they may be a part of that box, but not fully part of that box? Yes. There may be parts of that that are true, but parts that are not, right? Yes. You don't know how many times I've had people tell me, you're not typical American. <laughs> like, well, what is typical American? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> we have so many different types of people there. And obviously I grew up in Puerto Rico, so. <laughs> it, it's just bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> And it's yes. la- in a way, it's it's lazy brain <laughs> stereotype. <laughs> oh. If you were to share a tool with our listeners that would help with listening or listening to speak better, however that would, however you would like to approach this question, what is a, a a tool that would be something really practical? I mean, you've given lots of practical tools already in this podcast, but what is something else that you might like to share? I believe that we listen best when we're in the moment, that we're actively in the conversation. So we're not listening exclusively audially. (laughs) We are also watching them. So when we speak, 
the nonverbal communication, such as our facial expressions, our gestures, even the tone of our voice are as important as the words. So by actively taking all of that in, we can pick up more of the nuances. If you had one takeaway that you would love for listeners to leave with them, what your headline, <laughs> give us your headline, Susan. What is the, what's one takeaway that's really important for our listeners? It's something that I said earlier, which is speak. So it's as easy as possible for other people to listen and understand you. Wonderful. Is there anything else? Is there a way, uh, uh, something you would suggest for our listeners maybe to, that you have to offer for them to go to that might help them on their communication journey? (laughs) Absolutely. I do have 10 top tips to being a superstar communicator. And I have shared that with you, but it's superstarcommunicator.com forward slash 10, T-E-N dash top dash tips. And you can tick off things as you develop those skills. Also, my website is superstarcommunicator.com. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. There's only one Susan Heaton, right? There is a Susan Heaton who is the CEO of a dog charity. She gets a lot of requests that are meant for me. So make sure you put the right on there. <laughs> and and also, I have a podcast called Superstar Communicator with lots of tips and conversations with people about spoken communication. Well, it was lovely having you on this podcast today. Really a pleasure, Susan. Thank you for all the valuable insights and tools and practical tips you gave to us. And I'm sure that our listeners will enjoy listening to this and learning how to speak in a way that people can listen to them. Thank you so much for having me. I was really privileged to be part of your brilliant podcast. I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany. And this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn. And I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of.